If you would turn in your Bibles at this time, we will be turning to Ephesians 5. And we'll be reading a few verses from Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. And as you were finding the passage, we just sang a song about how God leads us. And our passage today in Ephesians 5, verse 17, begins this way. Look carefully then how you walk. We want to be led by God. Look carefully then how you walk, beginning in verse 15 of Ephesians 5. And then our author continues, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And as we begin our time together, have you listened to this scripture? Are you being careful in how you live? Are you being led by God? We are to live as wise, not as unwise. Paul writes, we are to make the best use of time because the days are evil. We are to understand the will of God and do not be foolish. In other words, a wise person makes best use of their time and understands the will of God. I wish that were always true of me, and I'm sure you wish that was true of you. And furthermore, the way Paul describes the best use of time is not a time management issue. Paul is teaching that we should use time and view time as an opportunity that we should be redeeming our time, as some translations say. We should cash in our time in such a way that there is a return. And we can increase the value of our time by the things that we do with our time. And so the question that we have for this morning, how can I, because I'm asking myself this question, how can you, how can all of us use our time in the best way, in a way that we can advance the gospel and we can glorify God? In a previous message, we identified three ways of viewing ourselves as using time wisely. And the first way was that we can view ourselves as an ambassador, as a representative. And not like the representatives that we send down to Washington or a representative who represents our school somewhere or we represent our office in another office, but it is a representative of us as a Christian. We are Christians. How do we represent Christians when we get out there into the world? We are a representative. We are an ambassador for Christ. We are a representative of this church. We are a representative of all Christians. How good of a representative are you? And secondly, we pointed out that we are a light. We are like a light. 
We are a light in a world that is filled with darkness. And so when we arrive, we are that light that casts the light all over. And we may be only a pinprick of light. But when that light shines, it shines on unrighteousness. When that light shines, it shines on who God is. When that light shines, it shows that we live in a certain moral, by a certain moral standard. And then thirdly, we said you are glorifying God. You are identifying yourself as using your time wisely by being a spokesman. There are times where you need to raise your hand and you'll say, well, I don't believe what you are saying. I believe that there is true marriage between a man and a woman. I believe that babies should not be murdered in the womb. There are times when you need to raise your hand. You need to say these things because you are that voice in the darkness. You are a representative of the Christian race. And so thinking over this past week, were you able to be an ambassador in some way? Were you a little light somewhere? Were you able to say something that showed others that you believe in certain standards of living? It's only been a week, right? Making the best use of time doesn't come naturally. Opportunities don't exist everywhere. It's not always easy to determine where to invest your time and what to do with it. And if you do invest your time, are you going to get any return on it? And what can we do to buy up some opportunities with our time? And I want to mention three of them today. There are many ways that we can do this, but we have time for three. We need to allow the Word of God work in our lives. We need to allow our faith to shine as an ambassador for Christ. And we need to prepare. Prepare for evil times. And in each one of these ways, we can use our time wisely. And how do you allow the word of God work in your hearts? And I want to turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, because this psalm begins to tell us what it is like to have the word of God in our heart, how to soak ourselves in the word of God. And I want to start with verse 1, but I want to drop down to verse 2. Blessed is the man, and dropping to verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. 
And so, when we think about it, what the psalmist is saying is that a Christian, a believer, uses their time in studying the Word of God, in Bible study. But even more, what they learn from the Bible is brought into your system. And then the psalmist gives us a picture. He said, if you are a believer, you're like a tree. It's hard to picture us as trees, but maybe you're thinking about ants or what Tolkien thought about these talking trees. And where do you plant this tree? You plant it near a stream. I have a stream that comes through my yard. The trees next to the stream grow really well. They survive. And then we think about that stream. My stream dries up in the summer sometimes. There's no water running in this stream. But if I jump down into the stream bed and I listen very carefully, I can hear some gurgling. And if I look carefully between the rocks, because I have a very rocky stream, I can see there's water below the rocks, and it's moving. That's why I want to plant a tree next to a stream, because that tree can grow roots down, and that tree will always have a source of water. And so the psalmist says, be like a tree that's planted next to a stream. So when it gets really dry, your leaves are not going to wither up. You're not going to dry up. You're going to be able to bear fruit. You're going to prosper. What is he talking about, the psalmist? As a Christian, we need to put our roots into the word of God. We need to drink up, drain from our taproot, into our leaves, so to speak, the word of God. The word of God is flowing inside of us. There's a story about John Bunyan, the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. They said if you pricked him, he didn't bleed. He bibbled. He was so filled with the word of God that he was able to tell you a word whenever you talked to him. In fact, his language was so filled with the word of God, he quoted scriptures constantly. I can't do that. You probably can't do that. John Bunyan was a one of a kind in many ways. But we can become something like that where our thoughts and our attitude and our way of thinking is filled with the word of God so that our leaves will never dry up. They'll always be green. We will always be able to bear some fruit because we are filled with the word of God. Do you take time 
to read the Bible? Do you read books that help you understand the Bible? We have a library downstairs. We have a bookstore. There are places where you can hear the word of God very easily online. Do you think you could reallocate a little bit of time? Sometimes the time you spend in social media or playing video games or, or your hobbies or whatever it is you do, just to soak in a little more of the word of God. We need to be filled with the word of God so that we can become a better ambassador, a brighter light, more apt to speak up. But what else can we do? We can live a life of consistency. We read in the Psalms, for the righteous will never be moved. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. From Psalm 112, verses 6 and 7. And then we hear that the Christian learns to trust God. Jesus taught his disciples, he said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And we read further in Psalm 21, verse 7, for the king, I wish our king did this, for the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we had a king like that? Well, we don't here on earth, but we do have a king like that in heaven. A man who is steady. A man who is able to withstand the worst of situations. A woman who trusts in the Lord a woman who is able to weather life's difficulties. And so a Christian lives with consistency. Do you trust the Lord? You may say, yes, I trust the Lord. And I would say, yes, you probably do, theoretically. Sometimes you can live a long time and theoretically trust the Lord because things are going pretty good. But the real test is what are you like when things go wrong? All of a sudden you're not feeling so good and you go to a bunch of doctors and find out something is wrong with my body and the doctors are telling me this is serious. How do you respond when you get those words from the doctor. Are you trusting God, God? I'm going to hold on as, long, as much as I can, but I don't like it. But you're trusting that God is going to be with you every step of the way. What happens to you when bereavement comes to your home? You lose someone that you love. You lose someone who is so near to you. Are you trusting God? 
Has God been at your side? And even in your sorrow, are you turning to those psalms that help you in times of sorrow? And when you have a calamity or an accident, how do you talk to others about these things? Can others tell that you are a Christian by the way you talk during these times of difficulty? Can they tell that you have a testimony to give? That's a test. We are testing your ability to use your time in a wise way, even while you're in the midst of life's crises. We read in the Psalms, when I am afraid, and I might be afraid for my life, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh, even my own flesh, do to me? The psalmist says in Psalm 56, verse 3. In Psalm 46, when we have suffered calamity, we read, God is our refuge. And strength, my house certainly wasn't. A very help in trouble, my car didn't help me. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. That earthquake was pretty shattering. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, that tsunami destroyed everything. But God is my refuge and strength. There are times when we just need to be strengthened, isn't there? In Psalm 84, we read, for the Lord God is a sun, and not S-O-N, S-U-N, and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing doth he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Put your trust in God. Trust in him. You are blessed if you trust in God. And so how do you use the word of God in your life? You delight in the word of God. You want to soak it in. You live in consistency in trusting God. But have you ever asked yourself this question? Why am I here? I didn't choose to be born here. I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose to be living here in 2023. I would have preferred a different period of time, personally. Why am I here? This is a question that's been asked for decades, for centuries, over the millennia. Adam probably asked that question, especially after he sinned. God has an answer. Why are you here? In Corinthians 10, verse 31, he says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you're doing, do all to the glory of God. It says in Isaiah, 
I bring my sons from afar. I bring my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. This is God talking. He's looking at all of you. He got you from all over the place. I formed you. I made you. That's why you're here. God made you. God put you here. That's why you're here today in this room. You are serving God because God put you here. And your greatest priority in life is to glorify God. Now, the question is, how are you going to live your life in a way that glorifies God? And one answer of many, is to make the best use of your time wherever God has placed you. And so right now, you are listening to the word of God. You are being instructed in how it is to get your heart in line with God's heart. And as you soak in the word of God, and as you trust God with your entire life, and you're looking to glorify God, you will be able to redeem some of your time in the glory of God. But let's go to a harder question. How can we allow our faith to shine as an ambassador for Christ? Or maybe I can ask this question differently. Last Sunday, when you came into church and you saw somebody How did you greet them? You probably said, Happy New Year. Right? Last Sunday, New Year's Day. And people kind of said, Happy New Year back. Right? How's the year been so far? Happy? Did you ever think in your prayer last Sunday to say to God, Happy New Year? Well, that seems a little awkward, doesn't it? God is the one who makes the years. So I'm going to say, pray to God, Happy New Year. Well, in a way, that is an appropriate prayer. In a way, that could be an expression we could use. Because what is going to make God happy? When we glorify God, God is happy with us. And so when we greet God, Happy New Year, we are really saying, God, I want to make you happy in this new year. And so when we greet each other, Happy New Year, or Happy Belated New Year today, we're saying, have a great year glorifying God in all that you do. You might change the way you say Happy New Year. And so you might be thinking, that's easy for you to say. It isn't. Well, it is. But can you clarify how I, as a sinful Christian, I'm a Christian, but I'm a sinful Christian, cannot only glorify God in all that I do, but also make good use or best use of my time? Let me say that there are many ways that you can do this, and I just have time to talk about a few of them. 
Let's go back to Psalm 1. To Psalm 1. Now I'll read the part of the verse that we didn't read before. I'm going to read verse 1. Blessed is the man. And here's how he's blessed by what he doesn't do. And the first thing that he doesn't do, it says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The blessed man who is using his time wisely does not spend time with the ungodly. And he doesn't spend time with the ungodly and ask their advice. You know what the ungodly are like. They have different values than you. They might even speak almost a different language than you. I have met with the ungodly, and they cannot say a sentence without either cursing God or using some expletives that I would never repeat in your hearing. But every single sentence includes these things. That's the ungodly. No matter what I do, I'm not going to change how they talk. They speak that other language. They have different values than you. You may work with them. You may hire them to fix your car. You may talk to them about the problem you're having with your computer. They might be your boss at work. They are everywhere. But you are not going to ask for their counsel in certain areas. They may be able to fix my car. They're very talented at fixing cars. But I'm not going to ask them about my marriage. I'm not going to talk to them about a problem I'm having with my relationship with my parents. I'm not going to talk to them about some ethical issue. I'm not going to talk to them about a moral problem that I see. They're not going to give me good counsel. Why am I even going to think about asking them? I need to ask those questions to people who think the same way I do. And so the psalmist says, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Be careful who you ask for advice. Don't ask for advice to someone you know is living an immoral lifestyle because they aren't going to have the same perspective of things that you would have as a Christian. And then the psalmist goes on. He says, nor stands in the way of sinners. We are not supposed to spend all of our free time we can spend some free time, obviously, with people who are prone to sin. Paul wrote the Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If you hang out with sinners, what's going to happen? Paul just wrote it. It's going to entice you, right? Their sinful lifestyle is going to rub off on you. It usually works that way. Your godly lifestyle doesn't rub off on sinners that often. It might, but it doesn't. And so don't spend time with them. You may go and play baseball with them. At your workplace, you may be with them during work, but you're not going to go outside of work and do the things that they want to do outside of work unless it has redeeming value. And so you are going to think about who you hang out with, who you spend your free time with. That's what the psalmist is saying. You don't stand in the way of sinners. And then thirdly, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you know a scoffer? Do you know what a scoffer is? It's a person who is always skeptical and always putting people down. Your idea is defective the scoffer will tell you. You don't walk right. You should be doing this. You are just completely wrong. I don't even know why I even look at you. Your work is defective. A scoffer is a very negative person. Do you want to go and sit with scoffers? With a bunch of people who are continually criticizing other people? Continually putting them down? That's what the psalmist has said. Don't sit with them. Because you know as soon as you get out of your seat and walk away, you are going to be subject to the same scoffing that you with your group of scoffers just did to everyone else who walked by. There's nothing worse than a gang of scoffers. And the psalmist says, stay away from them. This scoffing mentality is absolutely wrong. It is sinful, and your mind gets filled with it, and you need to get rid of it. So how can we redeem the time? We don't ask the wicked for counsel. We don't hang out with the sinners. And we don't sit with scoffers. We are to shine as an ambassador to Christ. Now, these are all negative, right? Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about living the good life. When someone says, let's live the good life, what are they talking about anyway? We want to live the good life. Well, in today's society, when we say someone wants to live the good life, they just want to live in comfort and luxury, no worries, everything's okay. 
and just live day to day a nice, comfortable life. That's not the good life I'm talking about. I'm talking about living a life that is good or living the good life. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And then here's the kicker. In verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And today we can say Gentiles, unbelievers, honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How do we live such a life? We are going to silence criticism by the way we live. And let me just give you a couple pictures. Let's say that you move. You're moving to a new neighborhood. The McMoyles just moved. They moved to a new house, new neighborhood, new everything. And what if you lived in the, moved to the kind of neighborhood where the neighbors said, you know what? This conservative Christian family has moved into the neighborhood. Now that's going to be trouble. Or you have a new job. And when you get to the job, the people find out that you are an evangelical Christian. Oh my goodness. I have to work with an evangelical Christian? But people are going to be watching you are that representative, aren't you? You are that little light in darkness. What is going to happen, says Peter? Peter says you can disarm your neighbors. You can disarm your coworkers by how you live. You can become known as a good neighbor. You are the one who keeps your house and how your home looks very nice. You are the one who's out there if anybody needs help in the neighborhood. You're there. You're able to help. You watch out for your neighbor. You watch out for their kids. You're out there and helping that old lady who can barely get into her house and needs help carrying the groceries in. You are a good neighbor. At the job, you're that steady, consistent worker. You work well on a team. You're not a slacker. You don't let everyone else do the work. And Paul says that by the way you live, even though you have been categorized as a troublesome, conservative Christian who's going to be banging on your door trying to convert you every moment of the day, none of that has happened. You have become that model neighbor. You have become that excellent worker. And because... You are a model neighbor. Because you are an excellent worker, your neighbor eventually is going to say, why are you like that? What is motivating 
you. Your co-worker is saying, why are you always so diligent? And what are you going to say? You're going to say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants me to honor him by how I relate to my neighbors, how I work at my job. That's what you are to, to, to try to be. And I've tried to give you some very good examples because these are ways that can lead to having a spiritual discussion. And so, how can we live the good life? By being good. It's as simple as that. And if you are good, it's going to attract other people. You say, well, I am not an extrovert at all. In fact, I'm an introvert. I'm the introverted, the most introverted of introverts. However, even the most introvert of introverts can be a light. Maybe a little light. And so you're not that organizer type. You're not the one who's out there in front. But you can begin to be the person that is sympathetic. You can be that helpful person. You can be an understanding person. You can be a listener. You can be approachable. And so, don't you find that sometimes you are in a place where people start to talk to you? Maybe I'm the only one that this happens to. But people talk to you. Sometimes perfect strangers talk to me. And they don't talk to you about just the weather. They sometimes confide in you. And God has put an opportunity in your lap to talk to people. I have had conversations in the auto shop. I have had conversations in doctor's offices. I have been sitting in an airport waiting for the next plane, and someone is next to me, and we have a conversation. Are you able to take that conversation and be a witness to others? If you're approachable, if you are open, those conversations can happen. And so the most introverted person can become an ambassador for Christ. Look at Jesus. I would say that Jesus was an extrovert, but Jesus is an example to us, and we need to always look to Jesus as an example. He was sitting by a well, exhausted, and a woman came up 
and looked at him and said, do you want me to give you some water? And it led to a tremendous conversation that he had at this well because a woman looked at him and took pity on him, of all people. And he was able to talk to her about drinking living water. Jesus was teaching the people, and so many people came around. He finally said, I can't do this. They said, okay, get in this boat. We'll just row out a little bit, and you can talk to the people from there so that they don't just push you into the water. That was a Sermon on the Mount. Whether you are the kind of person that can preach a sermon from a boat to a group of people on the shore, or you're the person who's just sitting there looking exhausted, and someone comes up to you and starts talking to you, you can use your time wisely to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be a little more like Jesus Christ. I just want to talk about one more thing. Are you burdened by the evil of our time? Does it bother you? Are you prepared? Have you prepared yourself by remembering that God is trustworthy? Have you prepared yourself by using your time as best possible to glorify God? Are you living that, quote, good life? Are you living an attractive life, a life that other people are so interested in? Why is your house such a nice place to come and visit? Are you living a consistent life, consistent in how you read the word of God, in how you do your work, in how you interact in your neighborhood? Are you living a life that is just bathed in scripture? Can I tell if I came into your house? Can I tell if I followed you around? We need to make the best use of time because of our view of eternity. We are reminded in the book of Revelation that there was a voice that was heard from heaven in Revelation 14. And this voice said to John, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Are your deeds following you? Yes. Are they remembered by anybody? Maybe not. But they are remembered by God. God remembers and records every deed that you have done. And when you get to heaven at the day of judgment, your deeds are going to follow you there. Jesus told his disciples when he was talking about being faithful 
about being true in what they do. He said, when you come to that day, then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Are you looking for that kingdom? Are you preparing for that kingdom? Are you living a life that is going to have those good deeds follow you into heaven? It's going to be amazing when you enter heaven. Even if you are the most simple, the most humble Christian, and you haven't hardly done anything in your life except live, if you have lived the good life, if you have been that person that has lived a life that is honoring to God and glorifying God, God will reward you when you come into your inheritance.